до сухий дуби завтра мороз буде. Ой, собирайся, молодий козачі, завтра похід буде. Ой, собирайся, молодий козачі, завтра похід буде. Ой, я морозу дай не боюся, зараз розіб'юся. Ой, я походу дай не боюся, зараз оберуся. Ой, я походу дай не боюся, зараз оберуся. Шмоньку незенько вклонився Прости, прощай, громад, громадонько Може з кем сварився Прости, прощай, громад, громадонько Може з кем сварився Вояний берг, верби сухоберки Схелиться додому Recent release from Ukraine by two outstanding artists by the name uh, names of Helena Kudeshko and Maxim Berzhnyuk, a Cossack song, uh, probably going back centuries, a uh, traditional Ukrainian song about a young man facing the inevitable reality that he's going off to war tomorrow. Helena Kudeshko and Maxim Berzhnyuk with a Cossack song. Dobrý večer i vítajú vás všich dorohí radiosluchači na radioprogramu Náš holos Radio Krínského Koríňa, ktorá podiecie vám na bohatomovnej radiostancii AM 1320 CHMB u místi Vancouveri. Pre mikrofóni Pavlina, ďakujú, čo rýšla prebúte zimnoju. Hello there and welcome to Náš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host Pavlina, thank you so much for joining me. On today's program we've got a book review and an interview with the author 
of that book. So stay tuned for that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, we've got the Khmelnytsky Police Big Band, and this is from the city of of Khmelnytsky in Ukraine, eastern Ukraine. And uh, traditional Ukrainian patriotic song, Zrodelis me velekui hodin, which translates as um, roughly, a big hour has arrived. And again, it's another call to war. To the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, 
as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Ukraine is under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications and, when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com or visit ukrainewaramps.ca. A group of American professors is running an online platform providing free tutoring help to Ukrainian pupils and students in any subject from maths, informatics and sciences to history, language and music. Hundreds of pupils and students from elementary school through the university level are already learning in Ukrainian, Russian or English. You can see details and sign up to tutor or to learn at tutoringwithoutborders.org.
and a hard rock version of a traditional Ukrainian folk song, Yicho Yicho Kozak Mistom, and uh, that is another song about a Kozak um, out and about, not going to war, coming into town, perhaps on a break, perhaps coming home. And that is a group from Winnipeg called Machina. Found them on Facebook and uh, haven't heard much from them since, but hopefully we will soon. Yicho Yicho Kozak Mistom by Machina from Winnipeg. Coming up next, another Ukrainian female artist. Uh, she goes by the name of Eileen, and here she is with traditional Ukrainian folk song from the Sitrovi Studilci era uh, about 100 years ago, and a song that has is becoming famous around the world. This is a beautiful rendition of the original melody, Oi Uluzi Cervona Kalena, Oh, a red viburnum or high bush cranberry in the meadow. Ой, у лузі червона калина похилилася, чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася, а ми твою червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо, а ми твою червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. Виступають наші добровольці у кривавий тан. Визволяти рідну Україну з московських кайдан. А ми ті московські кайдани розірвемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. А ми ті московські кайдани розірвемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. Гей у полі ярої пшенички, золотистий лан. Розпочали стрільці українські з ворогами там. А ми твою ярою пшеничку і зберемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. А ми твою ярою пшеничку і зберемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. Як повіє буйнесенький вітер широких степів, та й прославить по всій Україні січових стрільців. А ми твою стрілецькою славу збережемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. А ми твою стрілецькою славу збережемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. Welcome to Knishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Regina Gershman's autobiographical account, Rebecca's Journey. Rebecca's Journey describes life 
for Jewish citizens in Soviet Ukraine in the 1970s. Rebecca's life is marred by poverty, oppression, and rampant anti-Semitism. At a very young age, she sees her family ravaged by injustice in the Soviet Union, led by Leonid Brezhnev. As a nine-year-old child in school, this reality is very apparent. Saying anything, even remotely critical, would result in a beating, especially if you were Jewish. Gershman does not shy away from the complex social, emotional, and political realities of life for a Jewish family in Kiev in the early 1970s. Rebecca and her schoolmates are forced to join communist youth organizations. Individuality is discouraged. They must attend politically inclined meetings and avoid any kind of negative responses to the indoctrination. The meetings did not reflect the harsh realities of everyday life, which were based on Stalin's philosophy that everyone must work, thus he who does not work will not eat. Living conditions were brutal. At one point, Rebecca's family shares living quarters with four other families in Kiev. Electricity and running water are a constant problem. There is very little privacy. Food is hard to come by and involves standing in line for hours. The family suffers discrimination because they are Jewish. Rebecca must use the name Regina in public to disguise her Jewish identity. Her friend Sofa is sexually assaulted by a male teacher. When her father confronts the teacher, Sofa's parents are sent to Siberia and Sofa is taken to an orphanage. Rebecca's mother is beaten in the street and her father is fired simply for being Jewish. Rebecca's sister Lena is denied a place in university to continue her music studies. The communists told her she couldn't because she was Jewish. It was a tragedy. Rebecca's family is an oasis of support and respite for the young girl. Her grandparents have a dasha on the Dnipro River, where the family flees during the summer to get away from the difficult conditions in Kiev. Her father's friend Alec is a source of hope for the family. Alec and Rebecca's father are working on a plan to emigrate in order to escape the intolerable conditions in Soviet Ukraine. This involves great secrecy and subterfuge. Eventually, the family is able to escape to Italy and later on to Canada, where they finally find freedom. Rebecca's journey is a vivid examination of life under Soviet rule in the early 1970s. She paints a compelling picture of Jewish traditions and family life. Laws and customs are the mortar of Jewish life. They unify us as a people. Brutal conditions and rampant anti-Semitism also come to life in this autobiographical account. Rebecca is beaten by her teachers and bullied by her classmates. Any kind of protest or rebellion in the Brezhnev-era Soviet Union is met by sending individuals to mental hospitals. Complaining was considered crazy. Despite this repression, there are many activists fighting for freedom. Lena reads books by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Rebecca longs to become part of the resistance in Kiev. 
and helps Alec to compromise a prominent communist and KGB member. Rebecca's father tells her, if we want to fight back, we must do it smartly. Although the narrative is powerful and compelling, Gershman's casual references to living in Russia in the 1970s are not accurate. Her family actually lived in Kiev in the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, which existed from 1922 to 1991. In 1991, Ukraine finally broke free from the Soviet Union. When Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022, Gershman's words became prophetic. One's conviction and courage can only be truly tested and displayed during these trying times. Regina Gershman runs a consulting company providing counseling, life coaching, image consultation, and fashion styling. She has conducted numerous presentations for corporations and individuals. Regina Gershman is a member of the Association of Image Consultants International and the Canadian Society of Children's Authors, Illustrators, and Performers. Before Rebecca's journey, she published two children's books, The Power of the Magic Word and Animals from My Window. She currently resides in Ottawa, Ontario. Rebecca's journey is available at Chapters Indigo and Amazon. I'm Myra Janik in Toronto for Nash Hollis Ukrainian Roots Radio. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio.
band, a song by Rushnichok from many years ago, and a classic Ukrainian folk song, and the story of uh, the marriage between a mosquito and a fly, and I guess the uh, moral of the story is uh, insects, people, when they're mismatched, things just never seem to go quite right. <laughs> Again, that was Rushnichok from many years ago, and Komarik, the mosquito. We're going to stay down memory lane with another group from actually Montreal as well. And this is, Rushnachok was from Montreal at that time. And uh, Pravit is from Montreal. They're still there. And uh, this is a song from way back as well. It's not wasn't even put on a recording. Came to us courtesy Roman Kostek of Pravit, who dug into their archives and shared a few uh, un, uh, unreleased recordings from their early days, here they are with Oi Uluzi Kalena, another song about that red viburnum or red high bush cranberry in the meadow. Oi Uluzi Kalena, Oi Uluzi Kalena, 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 Chubarika Chupchiki Kalena, Kalena, Kalena. Chubarika <laughs> La 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 Chubarega <laughs>
spoke with the author of Rebecca's Journey, the review that you just heard uh, a few songs ago. And here is part one of that interview. And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. Regina Gershman is an author, playwright, educator, and counselor who lives in Ottawa, where she's helping refugees to resettle and start new lives in Canada. Regina was born in Kiev when it was still part of the Soviet Union. In 1974, she fled to Canada with her family, leaving the rest of her close family back in Ukraine. As a young girl in Soviet Ukraine, Regina fought hard for her identity and Jewish faith in schools and a society in which atheism was the only accepted religious view. She's had three books published, the most recent on the topic of Ukraine, titled Rebecca's Journey, Memoir of a Young Girl Fleeing Anti-Semitism. Writing this book brought a lot of old memories back for Regina, along with great sympathy and empathy for Ukrainian refugees fleeing war-torn Ukraine today. Currently, she's fighting to get the rest of her family out of Kiev, including an 84-year-old aunt. She joins us by phone from her home in Ottawa. Thanks so much, Regina, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, congratulations on this book. Um, it was really hard to get to get a review copy, and that's uh, the review will be airing shortly, as soon as Myra gets finished reading it. Um, it was, yeah, it was quite, it's been flying off the shelf. So congratulations on that. I imagine it'll be going into another printing soon. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad to hear that. So this book, your third, it's it's a memoir. It's not fiction. So it's based on your story. Now, um, your name is Regina. The uh, protagonist in the book is called Rebecca. Tell us about that. Tell us that story first. <laughs> okay. Well, my when I was born, my name was Rebecca. That's the name they gave me. My grandmother named me Rebecca because her mother's name was Rivka. Rivka and Rebecca is the same name. Ah. But due to the fact we were Jewish, and my parents were hiding the fact that we were Jewish because many people don't know that. But at that time, in 1960, in 60s, there was a huge anti-Semitism going on in all over USSR, former Soviet Union. 
And so, so it would be difficult for me in school and living in society. My father renamed me Regina, or we call it in Ukrainian and Russian, Regina. So my grandmother would constantly call me Rebecca, and my mother and my father would call me Regina. So coming to Canada, my name stayed as uh, Regina, or really it's Regina, but in English we call it as Regina. Sorry, what, what, how did you pronounce it in, in Russian Ukrainian? In Russian Ukrainian, it's called Regina with a G instead uh, of a G. Okay, because there's no G in Russian, right? And of course, that was the dominant language, even in Soviet Ukraine at the time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or like in Ukrainian, they call it Regina. Regina, right? Yeah. Does <laughs> do you ever do you ever use Rivka? Rivka I use only when I go to the synagogue. So in the Jewish area, I would. Always when I go to you know, the Jewish Federation, they know me as Rebecca. Okay. But of course, they also know me as Regina. But it's just less confusing when they know me as Rebecca. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. I'm Pavlina on the show, but in the rest of the life of my life, it's Paulette. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but sort of similar. So tell us about growing up in, in Soviet Ukraine. You mentioned in schools, it started in schools. Uh, so atheism was really pushed on you. And if you had a different faith, uh, you were in trouble. Exactly. Well, I was born to a religious family. So my grandparents were very religious. And my great grandfather was a rabbi. And so you can imagine that when my my, my paternal side Every Friday they would celebrate Shabbat, they would have to cover all the windows so the neighbors wouldn't find out what we are doing because practicing religion was not allowed back in in Russia. Uh, They wanted the whole Russia to be atheist. And, uh, of course, my immediate family, grandparents on my paternal side were not. They were very religious. So, and of course, it's, um, it was uh, very, very traditional for them to be, you know, to celebrate a hol- Jewish holiday. And uh, growing up, even though they changed my name from Rebecca to Regina, when I was going to school, um, visibly I looked different from other children. And I had a lot of Jewish, uh, I guess, teachers. And the kids and the teachers would make fun of me. And the teachers and the principals, they, they did not like that anyone who was not uh, Ukrainian or pure Russian looking. And so I would often get into trouble without even being in trouble just because I was Jewish. I would get in a lot of trouble. And what I'm saying about our trouble, there was, you can say, physical abuse. So oh. the physical abuse consisted of uh, slapping kids on their hands if they chose to write with the left hand instead of the right hand. Oh. And I was born left-handed. Oh, dear. Yeah, sometimes I would forget to write with the right hand, and I would get a, a big slap on the left hand. And uh, I would always be picked up um, by teachers, and they were very rough on me, and I was 
always be sent to principal's office. The principal would actually hit me and oh. they call it discipline. But yes, yes. So that's what they would do to kids. And if you read my book, you know how bad it would get in school. Oh. Outside the school, yes, unfortunately, that was the case in the 60s. Outside of school, um, I would be picked on by peers and by older students. They would push me, and even the girls would fight, and they would also push me. I would often come home uh, with bruises. And there was, unfortunately, there was nothing my parents can do. They couldn't just come into school and complain. Uh, there was just, it, they just couldn't do that because if they did that, then they would lose their job or it, it, it would be very bad. So uh, I, as a little girl, wouldn't even tell them what happened to school because I didn't want them to worry uh. about it. And I tried to handle it myself. So there was a huge discrimination going on at that time in the um, 70s, early 70s. Uh, for example, my mother would go try to get milk or some other product, and she would stand in a long lineup. It was a queue. Usually it's normal at that time to line up for milk in one line, for bread in another line, for livestock in another line and for vegetables in completely different lines. So sometimes people spend like two to three hours per day just to get fruits and vegetables. So when my mother would stand in line, someone would notice that she's not one of them and they would push her or just pull her out of the line and say things like, oh, we don't sell, we don't sell products to Jews, get out of here. And, or else I would just really physically push her and she would fall on the ground and nobody would help her to get up. They would all laugh at her and uh, things like that. Or there were incidents when she would walk with my father and some drunken man would come up to them and they said, oh, why are you with her? You know, you could be with somebody else. And they tried to push her in front of my father. And my father would try to defend my mother and he would get punched in the face. So it was was very difficult growing on being there on that time. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of name calling, left and right even. And the neighbors were spied were spying on their other neighbors because they were paid to do so by KGB. And KGB, uh, they were everywhere. Yeah. So it was also very dangerous. Wow. And uh, so that's how I was growing up in the in Kiev at yeah. that time in 1960s and 1970s. What did your, um, did your mom work? Yes, both my parents worked. They had very good jobs. So my mother was a quality assurance analyst and my father was an engineer. So he was an structured engineer. Did they encounter problems at work too? You know, my mother did and my father not as much, but my mother always encountered problems. She was also working in a chocolate factory where she developed allergies to chocolate for oh, some reason. Oh dear. So in the evening, she would come home with these different chocolates 
and uh, of course she couldn't eat them because she was allergic but she asked me to eat the chocolates and sort them in different rolls like this is dark chocolate this is milk chocolate and this is bittersweet chocolate so she, <laughs> it was funny but she she just couldn't do it herself so she would bring it to me and I would be doing it for her and at a very early age I developed love for chocolate <laughs> Yeah, it was so much love that later on in my years, I needed a dentist a lot. Oh, <laughs> oh. well, that's that's nice to have that that happy memory from childhood. Then, uh, I mean, chocolate is yes. chocolate. Chocolate yes. is very soothing for many things. So, uh, yeah. How did the emigration process? Seventy four was still the throes of the Soviet Union. It was hard to get out. Uh, were you considered a refusenik? I remember that. That's what they called Jews who somehow managed to get out, uh, almost expelled. It was like the Soviet government was saying, okay, we don't want you, so go. Go to Israel or go to the West, whatever. Was that how it worked out for you? Ah. Yes, yes. So the reason we could get out of Russia, well, it was then Russia. I'm referring to it as Russia, even though it's Kiev and it's Ukraine now. But I'm referring to it as Russia because it was former Yeah. Well, they They wanted it to be Russia then and they want it to be Russia again now. So, yeah. I understand. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um, so the way um, whoever had uh, Jewish roots were able to get out. If a person or a family did not have any Jewish roots, they could not get out. Right. So in fact, the government wanted the Jewish people to leave USSR at that time. So what they would do, they would come around and they would just give a notice of two weeks uh, if they wanted something from the family, they would come in, they would give them two weeks, and they said, here, you have two weeks to get out. If wow. you don't get out within two weeks, that's it. You know, oh. your your apartment is not going to be yours. You're going to take this away, you're going to take that away, and you're going to take your children away. <gasps> oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. There were a lot of stories that the children were uh, separated from their parents, and the parents, uh, were taken away, or e- either they were sent to Siberia, or worse. So, but the children were placed with foster parents, oh, and so goodness. when they told us we only had two weeks to leave, and they took my parents' passport, so oh. they couldn't get anywhere. They just had to leave. Oh. Um, and so, yes, and, and the KGB was constantly watching them. So right away, my parents lost their job. Right away, the moment we, they were told they have to leave, they lost their job. And, of course, they kicked me out of school the same day. Oh. And I didn't even know we were leaving. I didn't even know what was going on. It's just that the, the principal came, took me by the hand, and walked me to the door and closed the door behind me. And I'm like, well, what's going on? I don't know, like, what's happening? And wow. uh, and they said to me, you're no longer a citizen of this country, and you have to leave. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I was 10 years old. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know what was happening. Of course, I went home and to find out, and my parents came home, and everybody was quickly gathering what they could, but the um, KGB were watching us, so every day they would come to our house. Well, we lived in an apartment, and to see what was, you know, what we were doing. And they were constantly harassing us, harassing us, harassing us. So 
the last day, you know, my father was so scared of all the harassment and threats because they were constantly being threatened. So finally in the middle of the night, because we didn't know what was going to happen. They could have separated us. And there was a lot of stress on my parents and we just grabbed uh, whatever we could. I grabbed my doll and my parents grabbed two suitcases and we just fled. We fled straight to the train. And my grandparents were there and some other relatives were there just to say goodbye to us. And some of them said goodbye for the last time because I never ever saw my paternal grandparents again. And I never saw my maternal grandfather again. So it was it was very sad. But being a little girl, I didn't know what was going on. No. But all I knew is that there were, I was being pushed on the train and, and we were leaving and saying goodbye to everyone. And that's all I knew. And everybody, it was so much shock. And, and a lot of people were getting on the train very quickly. It was in the middle of the night. I wanted to sleep. My little brother was crying and so you can just imagine what's going on and then the train the train was full of people and uh it was uh it was very difficult moment going through that remembering that uh it was very stressful going somewhere where you don't know where you're going yeah and then once we got to poland they went through our luggage and they took a lot of things and including my doll. I had the doll for 10 years. They broke its neck. And, uh, yes, they were checking everything. Uh, They broke the the doll's neck, and they took the doll away. They took a lot of our stuff, uh, our clothes, a lot of things. They took away what they wanted. And they just pushed us somewhere else. We didn't even know where we were going, but we, we were completely kicked out of the country. And uh, and that's it. Nobody would talk to us. And again, we didn't know what was going on. We were going through Poland, and then we were sent to Vienna. We stayed in Vienna for one week, but again, we didn't speak German. And yeah. it was we didn't know what was going on. We were just told, go there, go here, do this, do that. And nobody to ask questions, because you can ask questions, they won't give you the answers. And from Vienna, we were told we only have two ways to go, either to Israel or to Italy. And so my parents chose Italy. Why? Why Italy, why Italy uh, and not um, Israel? Israel? Uh, well, my mother wanted to go to Canada, and uh, my father did everything that my mother wanted to do. So because she wanted to go to Canada, and we knew... Uh, way to get to Canada is through Italy. Okay. And so we had to go to Italy and wait till we would get our entry visas through Italy, from Italy. Okay. How did you manage then in Vienna? Were you on your own or were you with other other Jews from from Ukraine and the Soviet Union? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so there so- were other Jewish, Jewish people from, um, I think everything was organized by the Jewish Federation. Okay, all right. And that's an organization that was in the Soviet Union? Um, no, I think it was Jewish organizations from either Italy or uh, Canadian. I'm not sure exactly okay. which Jewish organization, but I think it was organized that way. Okay, that, that one would- that, Yeah. Okay, there wouldn't have been any allowed in, in the Soviet Union, right? 
That would have no. been that would have been dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's hard. Yeah. Hard, hard to wrap your head around that. This was in the 1970s. And this, none of this, these are, these are stories that were never known. They, we didn't know about this going on in the West. I was in high school and uh, I was going to a Catholic school. I remember when I was 15 in the library, finding the diary of Anne Frank. And I read that and I thought, oh my good. And I knew because of what I experienced, the discrimination I experienced growing up in Canada as Ukrainian, and just hearing vaguely, you know, adults when they weren't speaking Ukrainian, <laughs> um, <laughs> telling stories about difficulties in the past. And, and it was never as bad as what Anne Frank uh, experienced, obviously, because we were, you know, in Canada, but still, I in the book, I, I just felt an affinity for, for you know, the Jewish culture, the Jewish people, because I thought, oh, we have so much in common. And that was the first I knew anything about anything Jewish. I was in the middle of Saskatchewan, you know, we were all mostly Ukrainian and European farmers. And so in high school, we should have known about what was going on in the Soviet Union, because it was a Ukrainian Catholic school. And, be, and Ukrainian Catholics and, and Orthodox are being persecuted as were Jews, but yet nobody talked about it. Yes, well, I remember um, getting to Edmonton. That's where we landed. Um, when We stayed in Italy for seven months, and then finally Canada accepted the new wave of immigrants, and they had to resettle them throughout the country, and we were told to uh, move to Edmonton. Yes, so they resettled us in Edmonton. Okay. Why in Edmonton? Because there were not enough um, Ukrainian, Russians, and Jewish people there. So they sent us there. I think we were one of the first waves of Ukrainian, Russian, Jewish immigrants to resettle in Edmonton in the 70s. But there were lots of Ukrainian. That was when I was yeah. growing up. They called a garlic gulch and Edmundchuk and you know all of that. It was known to be a hub of Ukrainian life. Yes, because those were the Ukrainians from 1900. Yeah, that's when they sat there. So there would be uh, yeah. So there would be about second generation, mm-hmm. third generation, right. and we would be the first generation because we were really be Ukrainian, Russian, Jewish people. Okay, yeah. That would be something there. And that's where the discrimination started because um, a lot of Ukrainians did not accept us because, again, we were Jewish. And, um, and again, there was a discrimination there because, well, my mother uh, spoke much better Ukrainian than the actual Ukrainians who have lived in Alberta. Because they lost um, the language, because because we weren't allowed to keep it up uh, in Canada. Yeah. Wow. And so there would have been the resentment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there was, uh, and again, there was a lot of discrimination because, again, a new people coming mm-hmm. in, new culture. So in school, it wasn't so bad as in Russian school, but, but still, because I went into grade five, and I felt there was a discrimination. There was a, a language barrier, of course, but the kids, when they see you look different, you dress different, you act different, and you speak different. So, of course, that's where uh, the discrimination and the fighting starts. And at that time, there was no such thing as uh, no fighting allowed. I mean, maybe they, it was still encouraged, you know, you, you uh, solve your problems. 
still fighting yeah. at that time. Again, we're talking about 1970. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but yes, I felt a lot. Even my little brother who came to Canada when he was three years old, he also felt it. And his English was perfect. But he still went through this a little bit of harassment. But I went through a lot of harassment in Canada. I'm speaking with Regina Gershman, author of Rebecca's Journey, Memoir of a Young Girl Fleeing Anti-Semitism. This interview was recorded in early April, shortly after the release of her memoir. In part two of this interview, Regina will tell us the rest of her life story. She'll also tell us about the work she's doing in Ottawa to help refugees from war-torn Ukraine, and the difficulties and dangers faced by Ukrainians fleeing mortal danger. These include her own family members. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Please join me next week for part two of this interview with Regina Gershman. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. was a Hasidic nigun, which was a traditional Jewish musical genre. 
in Eastern Europe, including the lands of Ukraine, going back to the 19th century, and that was called Mon Ovadia. And our proverb of the week translates as light and water are the greatest blessings. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. Just a reminder to tune in to the Nanaimo edition of Nash Holos, which can be heard in the Vancouver listening area on CHLY 101.7 FM, Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. with host Oksana Pobarezhnik. If you miss our on-air or live stream broadcasts, you'll find the podcast at our website, www.nashholos.com. There's also a link to our Patreon site there, and I hope you'll consider supporting our work with a monthly donation, and that's www.nashholos.com. So to wrap up our show, Romko with Canada's National Kolomeka. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nasholos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening, and Dobranich. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.